Are you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we are the quantum mechanics, the paranormal podcast for the believers, the doubters and everyone in between. And I enjoyed Halloween, really enjoyed our episode last week. We were doing our top 10 movies, but we're, we're away from fantasy now. We're back to reality. Uh, we've got a really good episode for you today. Now, I know we've been talking on the podcast for the last couple of weeks about um, an exclusive special we've got coming up. We thought it might be this week. It's not. We're so nearly there, aren't we, Ben? We're so close. Oh, we're so but close. it's not this week. It will come. But but today's episode is not... We're not phoning it in. This is... Uh, well, just I was, say, I was saying to uh, Peter before we started... The research on this, it didn't start at 4am this morning, but it concluded at 4am this morning because, once again, I chose a book with many, many pages, and it's my fault. You've got to start buying some pamphlets. Oh, my God. You do this every time. Yes. No, exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll just get a pamphlet for, like, Cheddar Gorge. I go, yeah, Cheddar Gorge. Yeah, we'll be it's away. some stones and a ghost. <laughs> anyway, goodbye. See you soon. <laughs> so Ben, Ben, as you can tell, has probably been, well, yeah, he was up. He was up very, very early or very late, whichever way you look at it, working on this. So um, he he is surviving on no sleep, lots of caffeine, and uh, he's having a well-deserved glass of wine, I think, now as well. So he is he's firing on all cylinders. All my cylinders are going. I also, <laughs> like today, I I should point out, and like I know my partner's going to hear this, but for lunch I had pizza and for dinner I had spaghetti. So, like, I'm very carbed up, which is probably not good for the old waistline, but... It's full of carbs, full of caffeine, low on sleep... And a glass of wine in hand. That just sounds like the perfect way to <laughs> it's spend the, the day. Perfect way to go. <laughs> so look, this week has been inspired by so many UFO things. There's been uh we're in week three of a UFO series on Sky, if you're in the UK, uh directed by JJ Abrams, which is really, really good. And also uh, we are in a place where earlier this week there was the National Press Club in New York did uh, a piece about uh, missile-based commanders whose missiles had been, uh, yeah, whose nukes had been uh, turned off by UFOs. So I, I was thinking... I would like to look at what is it that aliens want? What do aliens want? And that is quite a big question. Because it's, it's hard enough to work out what humans want. You've really taken... This, this is the lack of sleep talking, isn't it? <laughs> Screw what the humans want. I can't work that one out. I'll go for the aliens. <laughs> well, well I, I started off being quite general and then I got very specific. So let, let me take you through cool. my journey. So... Our as a as humanity, our journey with aliens uh, and UFOs and people from other planets, it sort of officially started 
about 60 years ago when we began searching with radio telescopes and looking for signals from other civilizations and those that uh that effort has been organized by the SETI Institute in California and I think probably everyone listening to this would would know that SETI stands for search for extraterrestrial intelligence and there's there's literally no secret in that and then when you get closer to the current timeline there are other scientists who are pushing for another more active program METI messaging extraterrestrial intelligence so that is a program that doesn't just listen but actively sends out powerful messages towards other stars and that is relatively controversial but it's worth pointing out that most of the stars in our galaxy they're much older than our sun so if civilizations arise fairly frequently on some planets then there ought to be many civilizations in our galaxy millions of years more advanced than our own many of these would likely have taken significant steps to begin exploring and possibly colonizing the galaxy so that's where i started from which is a good which is a good starting point because if you think about it i know we're way behind that but our thought process is moving in that direction, isn't it? It's, you know, we've started looking for planets that might be similar to Earth for, you know, if we screw our own planet, which seems like we're heading in that direction, that we're almost starting at the, the right first baby steps of going, is there anywhere else out there that we could colonise or go to? So it's a logical step, right? Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's right. But the, the first sort of pushback that you get and and even Stephen Hawking said this is that the the history of civilizations who are less advanced than the ones that visit them is not a good one and i i guess what he's basing that on is for example native americans um being uh, overrun by you know white europeans i think that that's that's you know a good example aborigines aborigines in australia i mean the pattern's pretty similar isn't it wherever you go the more advanced the the more advanced technically advanced society takes over yes exactly exactly and the the argument against that from the people who come from the meti institute um they so there's a guy called douglas um vacock uh vacock vacock i'm gonna say vacock v-a-k-o-c-c-h he says that um he says it's unrealistic to worry about alien invasion because we've been sending out radio and television emissions into space for a century and a civilization more advanced than ours will probably have already detected these if they wanted to invade they would already have done so so that's that's fine that's kind of what's happening in the sphere of like i suppose what you'd call like mainstream science 
So we've with the, the SETI yep. project, we know the SETI project is well funded, it's going out there, it hasn't really discovered anything. Then you got the METI project. This is people who are wanting to send uh, very high intensity radio signals into the universe. But like of course, the, like that the thing that you think about the the METI thing is like but even though those things work at the speed of light they will still take years and years thousands of years to hit the closest inhabitable planets if that's the way we're gonna go for it so what i when you look at the question of what is it that aliens want we have to start looking closer to home and talking about people who either believe they've been contacted by aliens or investigators who have done their research and say that these people have have been touched by researchers and i i saw i'm i'm going to get deeper into this with um a book in a moment I thought there was a really interesting quote by um, there's, a, there's a pretty famous alien contactee called Stan Romanek, and like his his film is on Netflix and Amazon and all of that, and make of him what you will. I I think he polarizes people, but. He has he has a quote, and he says, so this is in terms of uh, his interaction with aliens. He says, images of this horrible catastrophe, you know, wind so strong it's scouring the pavement of, Earth, of the Earth, forests burning, devastation of the planet, he said. And when it was over, I'm going, when is this going to happen? When's this going to happen? Because I was pretty much in tears by this point. I was so terrified. So this is a quote from him where he is explaining his interaction with an alien. Right. And Stan, Stan Romanek, he was, I'm right in thinking, he was the one who had that famous video of the alien that was kind of peering through his <laughs> Yeah, 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 stuff. yeah, and you're exactly. There was quite a lot of controversy about him and... You know, I guess he would say on one hand there was a smear campaign against him, but he is quite a controversial figure in that sense, oh, isn't he? Oh, 100%, because that figure really looks like you've got a four-year-old holding up a picture that they they made in art yeah. class. Yeah. It's like Halloween. I know I know Halloween's gone now, but it, it you, you just want to give that thing some candy, right, and let Ooh. it go away. <laughs> no, absolutely. And it's... A, it's it's look honestly it's very easy to find online if you haven't found it but i suppose the point i was making was it's not about how stan it's not about his experience it's more about the fact that these themes of environmental or man-made catastrophes keep working their way into alien abduction stories and people who are regressed in those stories or even remember it without being regressed 
keep reporting these things. And so I wanted to go a little bit deeper into this. And so it's quite like trying to find a source material which is kind of sane and will give you some stories which aren't nuts is quite hard to come to come across but i bought a book called the threat by david m jacobs and he's the associate professor of history at temple university okay so so again it's one of we look for these quite a lot on the podcast don't we somebody who's got something to say who you would not not to discount anybody else's experience but someone who the mass population might think twice and go oh okay so they've got some credentials that yeah that's, yeah that's what absolutely. we kind of look for isn't it well and that and that's the thing about his book he really starts off by saying that this has his his interest in this phenomena has impacted his reputation and he's really struggled with it and and i think that's something that we all you know we kind of know again anecdotally but yep. the fact that he's written a book and and indeed on the final page of the editorial he gives his university email address i think it's quite brave the fact that yeah yeah he he still remains an associate um professor but yeah his his book is is all about the alien abduction phenomena and he comes to a conclusion about what that really means and why it's all happening and like spoiler alert it's not exactly pretty but he starts <laughs> by talking about some of the preconceived ideas about alien abductions so like i think probably anyone who is in our in our world that's not quite the right way of putting it but anyone who is in our sphere anyone who is kind of open to these ideas whether you believe them or not you just you know you sort of perhaps you open the conversation in you, you know a pub chat and you sort of talk about alien abductions and a number of people will say well you know they're probably they're night terrors you know these are these are things that have been reported for years but he points out in his book david's done the research and he says well look the the, the evidence says that people who claim to be abducted were actually missing in real time right. as reported by people who were surrounding them that's really interesting isn't it that that yeah that's interesting because i mean i know we've talked about it in terms of sleep paralysis and and things like that and but actually a third party acknowledging disappearance or time loss or whatever you want to describe it as that's really interesting yes so that there are there is evidence and there's no reason to believe these people lie, but you know there's evidence where husband or wife goes missing on an alien abduction. Husband or wife, yeah. the the opposite, 
wakes up, those people aren't there, they get returned, they don't have any memories. This is kind of strong evidence that he puts forward. And there's other there's other evidence, but like I think that was the thing that was most that was most striking. And I think the other thing that really got me was he spends quite a lot of a chapter in the book talking about repressed memories of sexual abuse because I've heard this as well like uh, the idea of alien abduction it's it's the opposite way round to how we might imagine it from a paranormal point of view in that um people who so so the sort of uh received wisdom is that people who have been through a uh, a sexual abuse encounter they might fill in the story with something that is more acceptable than right. the as a way as a way of dealing with the trauma as, as a way as a, around it uh, yeah. yes exactly as a way of dealing with it and I'm not like what I'm about to tell you isn't evidence and nor does he say this is evidence. Uh, he cites another five or six cases, but it is really interesting the way he says it. So he talks about a story um, about a a boy who is uh, like a preteen. His name is Jack. He's taking his sister for a walk through some wooded land behind their house and in his conscious memory there is a man in dark glasses who basically assaults him he ex- he takes off some of his clothes he exposes his genitals and he jack is completely unaware of what has happened and it really really impacts on his life and yet later on he has hypnotic regression and as you might expect the man with duck glasses turns out to be an alien and the incident was a routine abduction event uh, event in which jack underwent a physical examination now I understand completely anyone who is listening up to this point who hasn't read this book is is thinking yeah but like that could go either way like yeah. you know are our regression is regression therapy a real thing is that would it work uh, are you not just layering fiction on fiction and and I totally get that and and actually in the book he talks about this he actually goes further into it because he talks about um a phenomenon he calls media contamination so he cites that star trek of course has put into the psyche of many millions of people that there are fictional encounters between humans and aliens and just as many people that have seen reports of abductions in you know paranormal reporting material well, well you you can times that by 10 for the amount of people that have seen that in fictional scenarios and and he goes on to say well you know for those of us who were serious about research we we take that 
on board and we allow for that. He then moves on to if the alien phenomena is real and we assume that aliens are visiting the Earth and so in whatever mechanism that is, so it is either UFOs that we see floating over Chicago Airport or it is people who are being abducted out of their beds at night. Why is it secret? Why Mm -hmm. be so... Why why not, you know, I suppose the trope is why not land on the White House lawn? And he he goes through this. So he talks about the, the, the stages of the hypothesis. So he says... He divides it up. So in his chapter, he calls uh, the early hypothesis, 1940s to 1960s. He says, well, any a sighting of a UFO, any sighting, would seem to be inconsistent with a policy of secrecy. If the technology, uh, technologically superior aliens wish to keep their secret, one would argue... They would prevent witnesses from seeing them. And then he goes on to talk about this very interesting idea about hostile humans. So in this period, there's this idea that um, UFOs remained clandestine because they feared human aggression. And he cites instances of jet fighter pilots encountering UFOs and perhaps firing on them or perhaps doing a radar lock-on. And all of this is happening with the sort of, um, the, it, within the context of the Cold War. Um, and, also, and also the culture, you know, movie culture, cinema, TV, the alien invasion was a symbol of the Russian invasion, wasn't it? So, you know, even the media and fiction that we're putting out does tie into that narrative that, you know, these are creatures to be feared and attacked. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And and actually that comes up in what he uh, postulates as the later hypothesis, so 70s to 90s. Okay. And he talks about some researchers describing how UFOs were revealing themselves slowly so that humans could get accustomed to the idea of alien visitation. So we've kind of got this transition from they don't want to be attacked to, you know, we're friendly, don't attack us. And there's this assumption in this sort of 20 year period that he points out that a sudden revelation and this is a quote would be enormously upsetting to all human institutions fear desperation depression and despair would follow suicides would probably why uh, probably rise widespread panic institutional disintegration governmental crisis and other forms of catastrophe could follow, leading to societal chaos and anarchy. So the kind of the the assumption there is that aliens kind of understand their impact on society and they're being kind of altruistic 
by not diving into it. A bit like actually you use the Star Trek reference. What what is what is that thing in Star Trek? The um Oh God, what's it called? The uh primary directive. Oh yeah. In Star Trek that you don't reveal you know, that's why they always it was a good excuse to get the makeup artists to put some weird ears and makeup on them so they didn't look out of place because they didn't want to influence the development of cultures. But it sounds it's a similar type theory, isn't it? Yeah, it 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 absolutely is. But sort of and and this is where I think in our current timeline we start to jump into what he is talking about as an author because he he then points out that as the phenomena or the phenomenon is studied further, abduction stories become more prevalent, but they're uncovered more and more. And the theorization around them becomes more common and complex and they become more and more discussed. So it becomes something which isn't just lights and objects in the sky. It becomes something... Uh, more deep into uh, humanity, if you will. And he points out that the abduction phenomena has always been more secretive than the UFO sighting phenomena. And it's it's at this point in the book where he starts to say, you know, he starts to make the point where this is where the investigation moves from lights in the sky to really seriously looking at what it is that people have been experiencing in their own lives. I'm curious about this, you know, you mentioned this kind of theory of this almost altruistic alien who's who's kind of keeping quiet because he doesn't want to freak us out. We talked about the Star Trek thing, the Prime Directive, all that. Does he square that off at all with... You know, arguably, no one gave permission to be abducted by aliens if it's a thing. Do you know what I mean? And oh, it doesn't oh, yes. feel like an altruistic act in any way, shape, or form. Is, oh. is it they just don't realize, or do you get on? Oh, that no, 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 we, we're getting to that. This becomes okay. a lot more sinister. That is why the book is called The Threat, and right. okay. we're we're right. we're we're at. We're absolutely building up to this. So th- this altruistic alien is a bit of a an illusion in some way. It's it's Spielberg doing Close Encounters and ET rather than uh, something w- well, that he believes is real. So the altruistic alien, it's uh, well, you'll we'll get there very shortly. It isn't okay. the fact that um, what it's saying isn't real but its motivations are probably not what we'd hoped, I think. Okay, all right, okay. So uh, after the 90s, he delves into the alien abduction phenomena and he points out, uh, and I didn't realise this, but he says researchers were investigating UFO sightings um, 14 years ahead of ever discovering an abduction case but when they began to investigate abduction cases they thought so this is the researchers that each one was a one-time 
adult onset event and abductions were like a curiosity rather than a manipulation on part of the aliens and then his research absolutely kiboshes that and he then pulls out so he he has regressed and interviewed some 7,000 abductees and again I will point out that he is a very credible source and he talks about the uh, hybrids that the uh, abductees talk about and he even postulates how the abductee program might work so he talks about in the first instance you've got a hybridization which is working in stages so it starts with an in vitro sterile uh, uh, fertilization between a human sperm a human egg and then the input of alien genetic material and then the child of that particular manipulation then goes on to uh, give up their own sperm or egg and then continue the hybridization program. Right, it's like a process. Sounds very X-Files, that, doesn't it? It is very X-Files. And and do you know what? He ends up with a very X-Files conclusion. But what I suppose, like, as a listener, you might be thinking, well, what potential evidence has he got for that? And all I can say is, like, this book is, you know, it's about 240 pages long. You kind of, you have, you have to, you have to go into it to see it. But the evidence that he has from the people that are speaking, and some of them are in regression some of them are talking about conscious uh, consciously recalled memories but so many of them talk about the extraction of sperm the gynecological exploration of eggs the really peculiar phenomena of finding yourself immaculately pregnant and then suddenly not pregnant and then later on being brought aboard a craft and being introduced to your your baby and wow. this is not and this is kind of the like one of the main hypotheses of the book this is not something that just happens once or twice this is something that happens many 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 times in these encounters and most people don't even know that they've been abducted until people start researching but then we get to okay so we've we've gone through like what it is they're doing when they take us and we've heard a little bit about the messages and then like I wanted to go slightly more into the w- couple of the real messages that come through 
are the saving the environment. So one of he he describes it as a puzzling aspect of the abduction phenomena is the environmental concern that aliens and hybrids display. And they talk about it a lot. They talk about the fact that we're polluting the planet. They talk about the fact we're polluting the seas and the the fact that there's a environmental cleanup required. And then on top of that... that sorry, I'm just going to stop you, but that I guess you could look at that two ways. That could be cleaning up the environment for us or it could be cleaning up the environment for them, right? Ah, uh, well, I'm... I'm absolutely getting there. You're you're reading the room. I'm I'm getting close. <laughs> All right. Um, he also talks about how some of the abductees are shown pictures of human catastrophe. So, as you can imagine, nuclear disaster, yeah. uh, potential environmental disaster uh, caused by CO two emissions and all of that. And then along the way, I found a brilliant verbatim conversation between an abductee and some aliens who were trying to find what animals did. And it it did provide some light relief. It was one of those (laughs) where I was chuckling to myself. So basically, this guy is taken up into UFO and the aliens put up a screen and they show a picture of a dog and they're like what the dogs eat and he's like well dogs eat meat and the aliens are like why do dogs eat meat and then he goes into an explanation about uh how different lengths of our colons are and then the aliens say to wow. him, why, why have you got a dog? And he says, well, I just want the uh, the companionship. And they're like, great. And then they move on to goats. And they're like, do you eat goats? And he's like, no, we don't eat goats, but we do milk goats. And the aliens are like, why don't you eat goats? He's like, I don't know, but like we, we like goats. And they're like, okay, here's a picture of a chicken. What do you do with chickens? Like, well, we eat chickens. Why do you eat chickens? And and there's this like on apparently on and <laughs> on, on and on. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I get I get I can see this point where <laughs> they show him a picture of a duckbill platypus and he goes, oh, I'm fucking out of here. I'm out of here. I can't explain it. Don't ask me. <laughs> this is a trick fucking question. I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I do, I do really like that because it's sort of it. It it's a bit like an eighties comedy show. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like you what? could see you could see Saturday Night Live almost doing a comedy sketch. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> apparently they ask him about horses, and they ask him if they eat horses, and he's like, "No, we don't eat horses." Are those some cultures eat horses? And they say, why do those cultures eat horses? And he's like, I don't know. You have to ask them. Um, but we've got to this point where with in his world, where we've gone through the alien abduction phenomena and he's convinced it's real and we've had loads of different messages which have got tighter and tighter 
as we got closer to the present day, so saving the environment, nuclear weapons, all all of that stuff. And then he has this hypothesis which he calls the change. And this is the bit where you kind of like I I like I don't disbelieve it, but it is you know, it's depressing. So he okay. he says the the alien agenda works like this, and it works in these four stages. So the first stage is the abduction program. The aliens initially selected human victims around the world and instituted procedures to take these humans and their progeny from their environments without detection. So that is kind of like um, finding the best... It, in a way, it's like finding the best horses on the stud farm or uh, in a dog yep. breeding yep. program. Yeah. No, number two, he says it's the breeding program. The aliens collect human sperm and eggs, genetically alter the fertilized embryo, incubate fetuses in human hosts, and make humans mentally and physically interact with the offspring for proper hybrid development. So like what he's really saying here is that there is a uh, a removal of human uh sort of sexual reproduction parts and then the use of the use of humans to make sure that those babies and toddlers uh, are brought up in the right way because perhaps those that, aliens don't know how to deal with it. But that, what I find a bit odd about that is, you know, that that's takes quite a lot of time to be abducted and spend with those hybrids. Do you know what yes. I mean? You're, because, you know, if it's once every... You know, you're talking about really regularly, all the time. Otherwise, a child is just going to uh, default to their primary caregiver, whoever that is. If it's the alien who runs this hybrid nursery, that's going to be their. That's going to be who they look up to, rather than the original parent who gets abducted once every three or four months. Do you know? Do you, do you see where I'm guessing at with that? It y- seems yeah. a bit odd, that. Yeah, no, no, I do. But I think what he's saying is that um, those those babies are... Like, I, don't, I, I don't think he's saying that they're, they're waiting on human people to look after them i think they're being you know what he's saying is they're being cared for on right on you know on the craft so the human the humans are like a we a, a kind of forced mentor or something well i think it's like well wait till you hear three and four but i think okay, what, right. what what he's saying is that we are live dna banks really because right. He says stage three is the hybridization program where he says the aliens refine the hybrids by continual alteration and breeding with humans over the generations to become more human while retaining crucial alien characteristics. 
And he also says perhaps humans are, are also altered over time and acquire alien characteristics. So what he's really saying there is that um, it's it's a bit like uh, introducing your young Uncle Jack, who's 20 years old, and asking him to procreate with all the the women in a small village and then you've met my uncle jack then (laughs) he's such a tart he really is (laughs) but but the the final stage and this is this is kind of like where his i think these three lines are where his book is leading to he says Number four, it's the integration program. The aliens prepare the abductees for future events. Eventually, the hybrids or the aliens themselves integrate into human society and assume control. And this is this is the stage that he calls the change. So he is saying that there is going to be a shift when the number of alien hybrid beings on earth exceeds the number of genetically native human beings on earth and that will be the moment where the change takes place and he also has this sort of this passage at the end of the book and with most books i always go to the end to read the final page and then go to the back because uh, go to the front rather because that helps me speed read and bearing in mind that this is a chap who is well respected he's a professor he's still a professor of history in a credible university he wrote these seven lines he says it has taken us more than 50 years, but we have finally learned why the UFOs are here. We now know the alarming dimensions of the alien agenda and its goals. I could never have imagined it would turn out this way. I desperately wish it was not to be true. I do not think about the future with much hope. When I was a child, I had a future with much hope. When I was a child, I had a future to look forward to. Now I fear for the future of my own children. Wow. So this is the final part of his of his book after he's presented all of the evidence about how abductions are real, how you can separate the signal from the noise. He's distilled that down into the four stages that he thinks is the alien agenda. And now he presents his case that there is nothing to be hopeful for. And, you know, I think it's quite a bleak thing, but it Mm. does make massive sense because, like, so earlier, uh, so the time this goes out, it would be... Last week, we had the National Press Club with their live stream from American military leaders talking about how nukes 
had been turned off by aliens and, well, aliens, UFOs, and that makes complete sense. And when you put it in context of what the book is about, if you look at, for example, a TikTok UFO and it's playing with, you, you know, the US military, again, they don't want anything bad to happen to this planet. They are looking to preserve this. This is basically the house they've inherited mm. and they don't want anyone breaking the windows. And so mm. they are observing our nukes, they're observing our military forces and, and if then steering you believe, when necessary. Right. And if you believe what the author of this book is saying, there's nothing we can do about it. They're, they're not taking this planet by force. They're taking it by breeding their way into by it. They're, they're, they're assimilating themselves into this planet yeah. and they don't want anyone else to mess with it. So they're going to def defend it to the hilt because Which, this planet is populated by their children. Well, which led me to a question. Does he explore why they just don't clear the planet out and just take it over? Why, they, why they've got this long-term game? Because you think if they're technologically advanced, is it, is it almost it would do too much damage or would damage the planet to do it in that way that this is the only option? Uh, okay, that, that is a very interesting question. He, he doesn't address it head-on, but he does address it obliquely. And the idea is that there is something wrong with the way that the alien race is uh, uh, reproducing. There is, there's, there's a missing point... It's not necessarily that they are becoming sterile or something like that or that their planet is dying, but there is something that is still intangible that the human race has that they don't have. And he talks about perhaps it is emotions, perhaps it is some kind of level of intelligence which isn't necessarily like an IQ thing but it is something different to what they have or or it could be the duckbill platypus <laughs> it could be that it, it could be the duckbill platypus but we must understand this creature we we must do a hybrid program till we can figure it out yeah you know the duckbill platypus is poisonous as well. I only discovered that oh, I didn't last know that. year. Yeah, it's got a um, it's got like a hooked claw which um, deposits poison. Which... I know we've talked about um, octopuses and squids being potentially alien, you know, DNA yes. creatures, but it's got to be the duckbill oh, yes. platypus, hasn't it? I mean, it makes no sense at all. Sorry, I'm slightly turning off a tangent, but. Okay, so so what you're saying there is it might be a double benefit. It's not necessarily that this hybrid um, program is needed in order for the aliens to live on our planet physically. There is also something else that we have that 
will uh, like you assimilate is maybe a good word can be assimilated into mm. them that either fixes something or improves them yes and and he does go into a number of different examples where the communication from the aliens has been we can't tell you the secret of this program because it would ruin this program but they say they go on to say this is for your own good and for the good of the planet but you have to then sort of counterbalance that with the fact that if these alien encounters and abductions are to be believed and this book presents a very very credible case that they are that what is happening is that sort of innocent humans are being terrified by abductions and then having their brains wiped they are then having either sperm removed eggs removed eggs implanted with human and alien genetics and then in the most bizarre of cases brothers and sisters cousins being forced to have sex with each other for some kind of peculiar alien agenda but when we go back to like he he spends this time in the in the beginning chapters talking about like how all of this would be dismissed by you know sort of current um western medical science but the again i will say the most astonishing thing about that it isn't just like well he points out that you know people don't need to be regressed to hear these things and some of the evidence that comes out from regression so even something that goes back to uh you know 70 years ago with betty and barney hill with betty being able to draw a star map and i, I understand there's some contention about that but you know he talks about how there is credible evidence there but if you if you go right back to it the most um i suppose the most solid piece of evidence is and he cites it in a number of examples subject a claims under hypnosis that they had disappeared for four hours Subject A's wife, husband, partner, kids say, I was looking for this person for four hours and I couldn't find them. And that disputes the whole, oh, this is just made up. This disputes the whole, well, this is just like a a fairy abduction. This is just like a, a night terror with um, the old hag. It's something different. It's something different. And when you get someone as credible as this and they've gone through, uh, I believe, 7,000 abduction interviews and they've pulled out the core stories within it mm. and their conclusion is this is a plan to take over the planet 
then, like I say, everything else falls into place. It it does it does make sense. Like, it, I, well, I was going to ask you that in your reading of it. I mean, obviously, you're knowledgeable about UFO history, and you know, right the way through to updated stuff. When you when you read this and you put his argument together. I'm not going to say, because I think the answer will be yes, does it make sense in terms of UFO history and reports? Are there UFO history and reports that don't quite fit with his theory? Is probably a more interesting question that you can think of. Uh, Rakimo Brains, n- no. Because okay, that's interesting. Well, like, and I'm not saying that's an exhaustive um, source because you know. But I guess what I'm saying is, as you were reading it, was there a moment that went, "Well, Roswell doesn't make sense with that," or "Betty and Barney Hill doesn't make sense with that," or you know what I mean? It's like I I think knowing you, something would jump into your head, say, "Well, that's fine," but that doesn't make sense. But it doesn't seem like that happened. No, no, because the, there is nothing in the UFO law that can't be explained by this this alien agenda, which yeah. is like the Roswell case. I think that's that's difficult because I think with the Roswell case, you have to kind of have an assumption that the technology on board that craft allowed it to crash on an alien planet, which I sort of understand how that might happen, but I I sort of feel like if you've travelled across the galaxy, then that's that's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. But w- with the assumption that there is this hybrid programme where they're going to be taking over the planet, then of course you would expect a number of spaceships here. But there's nothing, I can't find an instance of an alien abduction or like, uh, I suppose, a close encounter of the third kind because close encounters of the first kind where you just see lights in the sky, I mean, who knows what's going on there. It could be anything. But the, the common theory around well no it's not the common theory it's the common story around abductions people who meet these aliens they get these messages and sometimes they aren't just like oh you know you shouldn't have nuclear missiles and you shouldn't pollute the sky sometimes they talk about um you know like raising your vibrations and that's why we're here and that always sounds to me like complete BS. And like, well, of course you'd say that. Of course, if you if you went to, you know, you have to think about if if we went on an expedition to uh, take over the land of a tribe who never made contact with the Western world. Let's say it's a tribe in um, Brazil. Papua New Guinea's always good. That's the one everyone uses, isn't it? Papua yes. <laughs> but we were told by our bosses, well, you can't you can't kill them 
uh, but we just want their land for logging. You'd, you know, if if you didn't have many morals, you'd go along and you'd be like, all right, lads, sorry, I bought, bought you these treats. Teach me about your your ways. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, oh, the, you know, the the princess looks quite quite good. Could I marry the princess? And then you find, you know, you yeah, yeah. you marry yourself into it and before you know it, you got forty thousand acres of logging land, and yeah, yeah. and I think this is what he's trying to say: is the alien agenda is not necessarily evil, but yeah. it is not human based. It is yeah. not with our best interests in at heart. It's about yeah. their best interests, and it's not about like that notion that um, their planet is dying or the fact that they can't reproduce i i think that again is bs it turns it turns into that is the excuse to make hay with 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 human subjects because as soon as a human subject is half alien then like what's your argument oh oh you you do you know what I mean? It's it's yeah, yeah. like you've you've already ca- you've already conquered it. You've you've done it. It doesn't and matter it, what happens after that. Yeah, and it, and in this 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 plan to conquer, does he um, does he go into any detail about? Uh, I'm thinking about disclosure. You know, does the military know? Does the government know about this hybrid plan, or is it is it even is it covert from them as well? Well, that's a very good point. So he doesn't actually bring that up, except there there is in a couple of chapters like a uh, an inclination that perhaps the government might might know what's going on, which is why it is so surreptitious. But there is like I think. His main hypothesis is that this this four-step program is being conducted in such secrecy that nobody could pull it apart with any kind of validation because people who have been abducted again and again and again don't know they've been abducted again and again and again and it confuses the authorities even if even if it's true that bob lazar has been investigating alien technology all of that doesn't matter like if if your goal is to infiltrate the earth with your genes because it's not about like here is race X and humanity is race Y. It's not It's not race X coming in with guns and killing everybody mm. and taking it over. It's about race X going, well, well, we'll just find a way of getting in here. And once it's we've more got... more a strategic plan in that it's sense. A str- rather- yes, exactly. It's a, it's a strategic plan. And it makes yeah. perfect sense because... Uh, there is there there would be no other reason if you like i like i said earlier there's no other reason where if you believe all of those uh military 
high, you know, high end people that UFOs had d- removed the readiness of their nukes. And also we, we hear other stories about, you, you know, for example, the, the Nimitz incident, you know, the, these, these UFOs are highly prevalent in uh, war situations. Well, the Foo Fighters, that is a, mm. that's a yep. thing. The Foo Fighters, the Second World War, the Nazis thought it was us, we thought it was the Nazis. Why would any other intelligence care if they didn't have a massively long-term plan to inherit our house? And this yep. is what he's saying. He's saying the change will come and it will come fast it is unavoidable and it isn't it doesn't mean it's not like war of the worlds where one day we'll wake up and there are beasts coming and shooting us it means that one day we'll wake up and our neighbor is a half alien hybrid and it's a bit more like invasion of the body snatchers right 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 yeah yeah but it's it's both a reassuring and terrifying prospect because it depends what those people I say people what those what those entities want hybrids uh, yeah so this is very much like the Terminator story so so Terminator particularly Terminator 2 is about the idea that AI, really will take over the human race but they're doing it with force and there is a resistance and it's very much like so terminator 2 is like 1992 so we're still at the tail end of the cold war and you can understand all of the imagery about crushing skulls and all that kind of stuff but what we're saying here with the aliens if they have if they're coming from a background of non-violent in, uh, intervention, which it does appear that that is what the contactees are saying, but they're still coming at it from that a uh, th- that point of view where they're going to take over. And rather than um, having guns and stamping on skulls, they're just coming in here and sort of just taking it. And there's that view of there's literally nothing humans can do because it isn't firepower. It's yeah, genetics. Exactly. And, and we're and not even aware of it. We're not, we're not even aware of it. And once you get, you know, once you get to a critical number of these hybrids, who are able to reproduce when when that has been worked out and that is still like apparently up in the air but once you've got a couple of human looking hybrids who understand who they are who decide to mate and bring up a hybrid child on earth and like they're in doc doctrinated by that belief like we've got nowhere to go there is literally nothing we can do because there's no there's no bombs there's no guns there's no nothing we can do about it and 
there is the open question which he doesn't address in the book and i understand why because he's got such big things to address but you kind of have to go well does that mean that humans are an experiment or uh you know are we genetically modified and are our zookeepers not very happy with it but well it's funny you're using that animal analogy because while you were talking i was thinking it it's very akin to an invasive species isn't it do you know what i mean like in this country the the gray squirrel has almost obliterated the red squirrel yes you know what i mean whereas whatever i don't know how many years ago like 80 years ago you know gray squirrels weren't here but it it's like if you're the red squirrel there's not a lot you can do about it right like as a, as humans we may have tackled in a sci-fi way before so if you think about um the borg in yep. Yep. star trek yep. and you think about cybermen in doctor who those are those are very similar scenarios where <clears throat> um it, they they they're not necessarily they're not starting off as uh hybridized alien creatures but they get assimilated into being um alien yeah. beings and i was also thinking of um in a different sense i think it was jupiter ascending um which has the concept that earth is basically a farm <laughs> that we don't know we're on a farm but it's a farm yes. run by aliens you know it's similar yes it? yeah 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 no and and i th- i think that's you know that makes so much sense but like the thing about this book that is so terrifying i think is that he is a credible mm. person you know he he's a he's a college professor he's a phd this isn't his main job he could easily have ruined his life he actually publishes at the end of the book his uh college email address so you can tell him about your own experiences but he's so negative about it and he i didn't go into the numbers because the numbers are quite difficult to understand um but there's a he he talks in some of the middle chapters about the number of people that potentially could have been abducted and it goes as high uh because there's a there's a study in the u.s and it goes as high as 28 percent of the population and wow. that there's there's kind of like a, a breakdown after that but it, it it like i think it's too difficult to cover on a podcast because you you have to go into like um not just the scale of the candidate number who responded but also you have to go into the maths with which you extrapolate those numbers and and then he comes out of it saying well that's an embarrassingly high figure and that's that's possibly true that's possibly true but i think the other part of this is it's completely possible completely possible that this is all absolute nonsense well i it it was funny because you know it's really like you were saying about the facts and the figures 
because there's the skeptic in me is sitting there going i'm not i'm not doubting his motives i'm not saying you know it's some crazy hoax or some work of fiction but i'm almost thinking you know of the kind of, of sherlock holmes do you know what i mean where you eliminate everything else you come to this conclusion but you then think okay it, is it almost like he's got these puzzle pieces and they all fit together and they show this kind of i don't know hybrid alien gray but actually if you just moved you know 15 of the pieces around you go oh actually it is a duckbill platypus do you know what i mean by that it's almost like yeah yeah i do yeah yeah, yeah. he's kind of gone on this journey and all these pieces nicely fit together but that doesn't necessarily mean it's true if that makes sense but i don't yeah it's like his motives are not not you know to deceive but no god no 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 like his his motives are clear and he's He's conspired, um, if that's the right word, that sounds a little bit uh, Machiavellian. I don't mean that, but he's he's collaborated, I think is a better word, with a number of very high-profile and respected individuals. I think what he's trying to do is work out, like, my my impression of the whole book, and there is a subsequent book after this, um but he's trying to distill what it is that is being taught to us from the mouths of the people who are being abducted. And when he can eliminate the fact that those abductions might not be real, so, you know, he's going through that process of, well, was it night terrors, whatever, and he's he's doing his absolute best to make sure that those things are real. And I, and I really appreciate the fact that he made a good mention to TV sci-fi and saying, you know, this is something that us researchers need to work past because mm. elements of that can come through. What, well, what I mean, good, good TV sci-fi is based on, you know, it's taking something that is scientifically there to, its logical conclusion so there is right sense in right that, that idea isn't there right right rather, yeah yeah exactly fantasy i yes, i had yes. um i wrote down three questions while we've been talking so i'm good you may not know the answer to these but i'm gonna fire them at you if that's all right hit me he, okay number one is there does he provide any medical evidence of this like patient 17 is there a oh we did you know a dna test on some abductees and or is he saying the aliens are too clever for that uh very good point no uh no d no dna evidence that i uh that i read in the book okay but that's not go on okay uh, no no go on go on so my next question was going to be, um, are these alien greys? Or does it not go into that? Oh, he does. He actually talks about the hierarchy of um, alien operatives. So he talks about, like, he believes that the short alien greys might actually be robotic entities with implanted oh. power cells and the people who uh, are, in, well, I say the people, the entities who were encountered 
by the abductees that they sometimes are referred to as like the doctor or whatever are a superior race who use these uh, other small greys as like a slave race. Okay, that's interesting. And my other question was, you know, if there is concern for the environment and the damage we're doing, you know, from a selfish point of view, from the aliens of protecting their their future planets. Um, I was wondering if they'd filtered anything, any technology or whatever through the abductees. So um, if there's any lawyers listening, I'm not suggesting this is the case, but you might go, hey, Elon Musk, I've abducted you. You're going to invent or push this idea of an electric vehicle that's going to become incredibly successful and here's how you do it uh no none of that except that uh, rather than technology there is evidence of during abductions uh human human subjects being pointed to places in the night sky where their abductees come from but the, okay. there's there's no mention of technology or anything like that yeah and it, it, it crossed my mind when we were we were thinking or I asked you the question about is there anything that doesn't quite fit with the narrative um of this and you mentioned bob lazar and yeah you know reverse engineering alien stuff and you kind of go oh, okay it could have crashed and it could be could be a different alien it could be their alien it was like oh yeah we did you know zorgo did crash one one time and yeah the humans got it but that's fine but you almost think if you you know if you could invent the if it doesn't exist already i know the conspiracies but if you could invent the everlasting light bulb you know you might want to plant that in the mind of one of your abductees so they do it well yeah but in in the spirit of what he's talking about in the book, you'd do it only to prove that there was some sort of some bad intention thing coming through. Like like one of the the things that is brought up in the uh, the hypothesis of sort of between the. 60s and the 90s about why aliens don't make themselves known is uh and I, I didn't cover it because i didn't think it was important but now you bring it up it sort of is important is the fact that if they share their technology there is a chance that if they hand over some secrets and humans are able to manipulate them better than the aliens are right, that makes then sense. they will be at a a disadvantage so in in all the stories that he presents no 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 uh transfer of technology is inferred or given but it is yeah. interesting that idea that um if they gave away some secrets, we might be able to do better than them because that also sort of denigrates the idea that they are some 
super intelligent beings who have transcended, you know, <laughs> transcended some kind of consciousness. It's completely possible, as I said at the beginning, that because there are many stars that are billions years older, billions of years older than ours, that they just got a head start in their development. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're cleverer than yeah. us. It just means well, or, that... Or even if they are, it it does kind of suit this narrative of we have something, whatever it is, special that they want. So you could understand there would be a fear of sharing their technology because we have got the something special that they want. If they've got our technology and the something special that we want, then that's really dangerous for us. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, that is a very, that is a very, very good point. But if, if they are, you know, if, if they're, I suppose the way to think about it is if they're like us, but um, we, for example, we're, we're 10,000 years in the future. So at 2021 um, AD, we're inventing, you know, 400 mile electric car uh, vehicles and we're going to send a vehicle up into Mars. If you force fast forward that to a thousand years, it heads we will have got cold fusion, we'll be able to jump to other planets. But it doesn't mean that we're more emotionally yep. advanced than we were a thousand years before. It just means yep. that we've worked out the physics of being able to do that. And I wonder whether that is something that worries these alien races. And or, or even actually I was thinking even simpler than that and we've we've kind of touched on this before but within their um a belief system do you know what i mean there may be a reason why they wouldn't wouldn't be aggressive or whatever it doesn't have to be logical does it do you know what i mean we do a lots of things that are completely yeah. illogical but you know even if we you know, to use a simpler analogy, even if we went to a foreign country, we'd be conscious of their cultures and beliefs, but in many ways we'd still act in the way that we were used to. Um, so there may be something around that that it, it may not even be that logical. It's a cultural thing for them that they wouldn't mm. do X or Y. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Oh, yeah, uh, I, I completely get it. Like, I think when I was reading... The, you know his four points about the alien agenda the the thing that it made me think of most was the way that we uh create domesticated farm animals or even mm. domesticated companion animals so if we if we if we go back and we don't really know but let's say we go back 30,000 years and we are and I'm not going to say cave people because I think that is um I think we've proved you know 
the science has proved that we're not cave people, but we're 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 at least nomadic people who have the ability of fire, mm. and we're perhaps getting into some primitive farming, and then wolves are circling our encampment, and some of the humans there, some realise that it would be great to use the adult wolves as hunting partners and yeah. some of the others maybe the children we don't know enjoy the the pups and think they're really cute and you fast forward today and i've got a cavalier king charles spaniel at my feet yeah. and although that is a product of selective breeding the difference between that and the hypothesis of that book is actually very little because what he's saying is it is the selective breeding is just the input of some alien DNA, which must be compatible, otherwise it wouldn't work. And that is never explained because obviously I can't have sex with a horse and produce a man horse. That isn't mm. possible. But yeah. the, so there must be some, uh, there there must be some relationship between our DNA, and that is something that is unexplained. But there is something that I do think there is something very very similar between our relationship with uh, animals on Earth and what he is postulating about the relationship between aliens and us. That's really fascinating. I think I've cracked also, this has cracked the duckbill platypus for me. I reckon that was one of their first attempts and they've gone, that's gone horribly wrong. What are we going to do with that? Just, just let it go. Put it on the planet. Nobody will notice. Um, it was a it was a Christmas party. Yeah. <laughs> that's brilliant. It, yeah. It was the lab's Christmas party. They'd had a few... <laughs> they'd had an experiment around and go no no that's ridiculous we can't create you, one of those <laughs> you you know when um the the first explorers bought duckbill platypuses back to europe um yeah. people people didn't believe them they thought they were made up they thought they were different animals sewn together didn't they i think I yeah they did true. yeah 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 but like something that looks like an otter with a duck's bill, a beaver's tail, and lays eggs, lays eggs and is produces poisonous. produces milk and is poisonous. It's it's literally like what <laughs> what are you doing, evolution? And evolution's like, well, I don't know. It was just it, it wow. seemed cute. I stuck a bill on it. It was <laughs> fine. Uh, but apparently, uh, well, as I say, apparently they make quite good pets. But not if they're poisonous. I'm a bit worried now. Well, well, people keep poisonous snakes, don't they? And tarantulas. That's true. That's true. Depends I, how poisonous. Okay. Like there's a there's a place down the road. Well, because you obviously you and I live pretty close together. There's a place down the road that specialises in selling spiders into the pet trade. And they've got like a whole wall of like different spiders that you can buy. And they're like, you know, like 100 quid, 200 quid. Like flipping heck. Why would you do that? That's terrifying. It's like walking into that shop is like your worst nightmare. <laughs> I, I, um, 
a friend a friend a friend of mine's dad um worked on concord for a while oh yeah and he he tells this great story he he was one of what do you call them purses i think and uh he said he was they drew one flag so you know back in the day it was pretty loose right you could kind of pretty much bring anything on a plane and uh he said this this kid came up to him and said um uh, i've lost david and uh he, <laughs> my friend's dad said who's david he went He's my pet scorpion. And the kid pulls out this massive, you know, giant matchbox and said, he's got out somewhere. <laughs> he said he, he had to then, uh, his friend's dad had to just uh, subtly walk around the plane kind of looking for this scorpion that was loose. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't happen now, would it? Oh, yeah. no, that's terrifying. Well, the the only the only um thing I can come back with that is um years years ago with um well I I've been with my current partner 21 years but so that's how old I am but before that I was I was with a girl and we were renting a flat which was the top floor of like a really nice house. Uh, like like a little mansion, really, and um, they went on the the people who lived in that that house. They had two kids, and they went on holiday. And they said, um, "Oh, we're we're going on holiday. We'll be away for two weeks. Um, obviously, feel free to like walk through the houses, uh, whatever. And we, but we've got someone coming in to feed our sons snakes." I didn't know he had snakes. Okay, that's fine. And, um, like, there was two ways out of our flat. One was down through the main concourse of the house. The other was through an external staircase. And while they weren't there, we were like, well, it's raining and whatever. We'll go through the internal. Open the door. This kid's snake was just sat outside our door. And it was an enormous green thing. And oh. I looked at it, it looked at me, <laughs> I slammed the door and I thought, oh my good God, I don't know if it's poisonous, I don't know what it is, but it's about five foot long, it was oh. rearing up and I don't want anything to do with it. It's terrifying, genuinely I, uh, terrifying. I just got this vision of it then saying, you don't fancy joining our hybrid programme, do you? <laughs> <laughs> do you want to play uh, Snakes and Ladders? <laughs> well, I have to say, it's uh, lots to think about there. I mean, I, 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 it's one of those ones where I just... I honestly don't know what to think about it. I think I'm going to have to read the book, not at four in the morning, but I think I am going to have to read it because... It, it's it's almost so big, isn't it? And it's so depressing in many ways that you you almost you almost want to put your fingers in your ears and just go la 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 la. I don't even want to believe a word of it. Do you know what I mean? It's got that impact, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Well, so he's got previous and subsequent books. Um, but I felt like this was the one that was, I don't know, it really, 
it struck me as kind of getting straight to the point. Yeah. It's it's not that new. It's 1994, but um, he has some much newer publications out. God, yeah. And the author's name is... I was going to say David M. Jacobs, The Threat, Revealing the Secret Alien Agenda. You can buy it on paperback from Amazon. It's about... It's about 12 quid, so like $15. You can get it on uh, Kindle. It is a good read. I would would absolutely recommend it because he puts everything into uh, a sequence of uh, uh, sort of theories which you can buy into because he presents the evidence. And, um, yeah, like... We don't really know, do we? But what I would also say is, um, this isn't part of the episode, but do look. Two weeks ago, the National Press Club in America, they had a bunch of uh, US generals and uh, top US military stars talking about how their missiles on their watch had been disabled by ufos and i think that this particular book plays into that and it gives an explanation for why yes because if if they had no if the aliens had no uh designs on the earth why would they care what why would they do that doesn't make any sense but yeah i mean we don't know. Like last week, we were talking about our favorite horror movies. This, this was quite a heavy, heavy thing to get into. I will, I will say, if you, if you're, if you're feeling like you want to be cheered up, don't read this book. But um, if you want to, um, if you have an idea that uh, you want to know what the alien abduction phenomena might be about then you can do a lot worse. Uh, and he's a very compelling author. And the best thing about it is, like, not only is it published by a very reputable publisher, but it's it, the stories are framed in the right way. So it's an easy read. It's not one of those where you're kind of like halfway through, your head's hurting, and you're like, oh, God, what's going on here? Everything is very succinct and interesting. And um, as I say, Simon & Schuster is the publisher. Incredibly credible. Um, Yeah, not to be dismissed, but um, be prepared for 300 pages of... What? Oh, my God. Well, we'll put um, links to that book in the photo album that accompanies the episode... Uh, so, or you can go to at TQM podcast on Facebook to see that. I think actually, Ben, also just randomly, I'm going to put a picture of a duck bill platypus in the photo album and not explain it. So only people who've heard the episode will understand why I've done that. But I just feel that, like you say, we need some light relief after that, don't we? So I'll stick that in as well. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And anyone that's got one as a pet. Oh, actually, you know what? I've just, I've just Googled. Oh, you've seen the baby duckbill platypus. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, they're very cute. Oh, that's amazing. Anyway, sorry, we've got off topic. But um, we will be back next week. Fingers crossed we're going to have the amazing exclusive that 
we've been working on. But if not, we'll still have another great episode for you next week on the quantum mechanics. So thank you for listening. Presumably, if we haven't been killed by a duckbill platypus. Yeah, or, or replaced by an alien hybrid. <laughs> I was trying to think of something funny to say there, but I can't think of anything. <laughs> Oh, maybe we've already been replaced. <laughs> we'll, we'll see I you come next from time. Venus. <laughs> there's a, there's, don't do any rhyming. No rhyming. No rhyming. I come from Venus. Have you seen my genus? Anyway, my, my not genius. That. I come from oh, Venus. Oh, my genius. You, have you seen my genius? Um, right next time on the quantum mechanics see you then like and subscribe five stars if you didn't like it just ignore it thank you (laughs) bye bye the quantum mechanics.